Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the April 30, 2023 session, focusing on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Forgetful Churches. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Hey, we've got the whole team back together. We do. Yeah. We got the band back together. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, it's good to see everybody. We are in the throes of springtime here in Kentucky. I hope it's warming up where you are as well. It is. It is. And everything's blooming and grass is growing, which just means a lot more mowing. (laughs) Yeah, that does come with it. That does. It does. And the the pollen, of course. Oh, the rivers of yellow. (laughs) Oh my. Well, it is good to have the the crew back together. And speaking of the crew, I, I know we sometimes talk on here about how we form special relationships because of podcasting together and being together regularly and talking about our lives and the scriptures. So, Clearly, this is a special community for us. But aside from this, I'm wondering if you've had an experience with another place or area, people, group, whatever, where you had this special sense of community. I do. In seminary, there were seven of us women who came in together and... We, almost all of us graduated together. One of us decided to start having babies in the midst and so took a little longer. But we did seminary together. And and what I mean by that is we went and got coffee after class and talked about what we were learning and, and worked, you know, and worked it out and asked lots of questions and challenged each other. And we prayed for each other and cared for each other and did projects together and just doing all of that life together for those three years, we continue to stay connected today. And some of us are more connected than others, but we still get on video chat and try to connect with each other at least once a month. It is a very special community and and it's one that I treasure that I hope will be with me all the days of my life, that we will continue to walk and do life together. So yeah, it was a wonderful group of girls. We did call ourselves the Mac Mamas. I was like, I hope they had a name. Oh, <laughs> we did. We did. We called ourselves the Mac Mamas. <laughs> I could I could think of two specific instances in different stages of my life. First was high school. A, a little group within our high school band. There were about five or six of us and then a few kind of in and out. But there there's there's relationships there that you know, as, as a teenager, I'd never experienced before. But as I've gone on through life, I think I've never experienced these again. And, and we are still very, we don't see each other except every several years sometimes, but we still stay in touch. And there's just something there that carried us all through high school. But then also my seminary experience, Nikki, at the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, where David Cassidy is now president, I was a part of the very first class, although I didn't graduate with the first class, but I was one of the very first students in that first year. And there was just a handful of us. And then there was the president, Greg Earwood. There was the New Testament professor, Dalen Jackson, and three, there's one administrator and a couple of adjuncts. And I, I still, we, we still all communicate with each other from time to time. And the students, Crystal Shepard was a part of that group, not in that very first group, mm. but the next group. So that's why we, it's Crystal and I have always, we've been close for almost 20 years now. 
there's just something about that experience of being at this new seminary getting off the ground that brought every the professors, administrators, and the handful of students into a, a relationship that was still unmatched. Hmm. That's neat. So I was reminded just this week how important this community is to me. And it's, singularly enough, our church softball team. I don't play anymore. Anymore, I'm a liability more than an asset. But <laughs> I, I do try to watch as many games as I can. And um, it's a unique mixture, often men and women, persons of all ages. Mm-hmm. And and it's a it's a good I mean it's it's the classic softball team where you you have to have thick skin to be able to to play because <laughs> they're pretty rough on each other. But and it, and it always ends with a a trip to the to the local watering hole, which around here is called the Poor House P O U R. Ah. And so it's 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 a great time of togetherness and community. And I will admit, for many of those players, that that is church for them. That's mm-hmm. their engagement with church, and and that's okay. As a pastor, I can say that's okay, because for them, a lot of them, it's more church than church sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a neat, it's a neat group. Well, I, there were several I had to choose from, different parts of my life, kind of like you, Bert, but the one that, that I kind of lingered around was my experience. I was I was in seminary, but the experience was at a church where I was serving during seminary, which was Butchel Park Baptist Church in Louisville. And I was there, you know, over six years because it took me a long time to, to finish seminary. But, but I was youth minister there the entire time. I had different duties along the way, but I was always youth minister and saw that really as core to, to what I did there. And we just had this group of teenagers and their families mm-hmm. that we just became really like family, very close. And we we just did incredibly, I think, awesome things together, <laughs> whether around service, whether it was around the way we cared for each other. This was a group that I felt like was genuine mm. with each other. And that's a, that's a rare thing to find. It is. So anyway, we called ourselves the Butchel Bunch in those days. And so <laughs> I still have, I still have very fond memories and I still, you know, follow a lot of these. They're not, they're not youth anymore. They're, they have families and kids in college, but we won't go there. <laughs> I still follow them on Facebook and it's wonderful to, to see the, their lives unfold, but yeah, special communities, they they do stick with us, and, and they're so special and formative, I think, in, in our lives. And today, we have a passage that reminds us of the power of, of special communities. Daniel, would you help us get started on this one? I'll be glad to. You know, it's true. We all need to be reminded of things from time to time. This is especially true for us as individuals, and it's even true, I believe, for churches. Because just like people, churches can be forgetful from time to time. Sometimes churches forget what they're doing. We can get so focused on gaining new members or fundraising or missions collections or rehearsing music, and all that's wonderful and important, but we can forget why we're doing all this in the first place. We even can exclude those whom we're called to include. So often we take our eyes off the ball. 
yes, churches can be forgetful too. I think that's why the lectionary calls us back to the book of Acts each year during the season of Easter. We need to be reminded of how the resurrection of Jesus changed lives and how folks came to believe and grow together as a community. And in today's scripture, we are told how those first believers banded together for sharing meals and worship. Listen again to how Luke, the author of the book of Acts, describes this early church. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Well, I don't know about you, but that's downright beautiful. They spend together, they spend time together sharing meals and worshiping. They take care of one another by pooling their resources and sharing so that no one would be in need. They are devoted to prayer. They have a spirit of unity. All who believed were together, the text says. And just before this section, Luke tells us they were, quote, of one heart and soul. Yes, Luke gives us a glimpse of a pretty incredible church. It's a picture of a church on its best behavior. You might even say this is what church was created to be. But unfortunately, and you probably knew I was going here, for many of us, this is not how we experience the church. I can name many friends, dear friends, who have left. They've left the church never to return. Not because they joined another religion, not because they ceased believing, but because of how mean and frankly abusive the church was to them. For these friends, their idea of church is not a group of people who love God and love one another. To them, church is not a group of people who share what they have so no one has to go without. To them, church is not a group of people who lift one another up with loving and encouraging words. To them, church has wrapped itself in power and oppression and exclusion rather than in proclamation of the liberating love of Christ. Women are told they can lead the children, but they cannot preach. Young people, when they experience doubts about their faith, they're shown the door. Folks of all ages are told that the church just wasn't comfortable with people like them around. Whether it was because of their race or gender or social status or sexual orientation, churches have proclaimed with their lips love for one another, but with their bodies they practiced only hate. Lest you think, dear listener, that I'm making this up, I've sat with and hugged and cried with people who've told me these stories firsthand. If you have ever experienced anything like that, please hear from a church pastor. I am sorry. There is no excuse. I am The bad news is that too often the church has failed to live up to being the people Christ has called us to be. But here's the good news. 
Christ hasn't given up on us. The church is still the beloved body of Christ, and God's not done with us yet. Yes, we as churches can be forgetful. That's why it's important to go back to the beginning and reread the book of Acts and remember why God brought us together in the first place. And when we read our story, I think it becomes clear that the main character in the book of Acts is not Paul with his missionary zeal or Peter with his amazing preaching. The main character is the Holy Spirit. And despite our best efforts, the Holy Spirit breaks into our churches and into our lives and breathes new life into us, making a way where we can see no way. So I don't mean to make light of anyone's experiences. And I know so many folks have feel, have feel that they are done with the church. Even still, I believe that Jesus is not done with us. Jesus is at work within us. And while that doesn't make us perfect, it does make us family. Teaching, praying, eating, worshiping, sharing what we have, doing our best to reflect the love of the one who laid his life down for you and for me. That's who we're created to be. Let's not forget that. Daniel, thanks for that. I really didn't expect you to go in that direction, but it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we, as Christians, we have so many of our traditions that are built around remembering, right? I mean, every time mm. we have the Lord's Supper, we have communion. That is an act of remembering. Our tables have in remembrance of me written on them in the sanctuary. You know, Advent, Lent, all of these seasons have a remembering aspect to them because it's so important for us to do that. And so on the one hand, you'd think we're, we're really good at remembering. But on the other hand, I, I'm reminded, as you were talking, of the conversations that are pretty constant right now that I hear as I, as I visit with different churches and leaders is this concern about where are where, where are we going as a church? What does church look like post-pandemic? What's it going to be like in five or ten years? The trend lines are not good. Giving is down. Attendance is down. And we worry and we, we wring our hands. And yet, I'm sitting here going, well, my goodness, Acts, <laughs> Acts reminds us exactly of what we should be about as we move forward. And maybe, maybe that's a wonderful place to start these conversations about what does church look like going forward, we start here in Acts, and for all the reasons you've said. Hmm. That's a good point, and not to to corporate here, but it, any good consultant will will begin with, yeah. tell me about those highlights of the past. Yeah. Not in an attempt to recreate them, but to understand and believe that that's still part of who we are. Yes. That the way the the faithfulness we demonstrated once we can do again. But the and, trick is that the spirit may give it an entirely new shape. <laughs> absolutely. In fact, that's I would say guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, and that's where but see, this is where the, the uncertainty is, and this is where the fear lies, because when you start talking about those 
those great memories, those great moments of community of the past, not to try to recreate, right? But to remind us something special is here. The problem is that that is the spirit, that is relationships, right? That's not necessarily the institution and the building. Those are just places that facilitated that. And with fewer people coming and more people expressing hurt and feeling freedom to leave, that affects the bones, the structures, the building, the institution. <laughs> and and so then, yeah, people are afraid. People are frightened. People are worried because we've got bills to pay. We've got this big building. And, you know, we've quoted before, David, you mentioned Chapark where you were youth minister. While you were youth minister there, Rob Nash was pastor, and Rob Nash wrote a book many years ago that's now so outdated, <laughs> but it's still so relevant. It's still far ahead from where most of us are as churches. The book is titled An Eight-Track Church in a CD World, right? And some of our listeners don't even know what CDs are anymore, right? Let alone eight-tracks. Thank goodness they don't know what eight-tracks are. Yeah. Hey, I love my eight-track. <laughs> it would just keep playing until it wore out. But, but yeah, but we're still asking the same questions uh, and and for thirty years now, since he was, has it been thirty years since he wrote that book, twenty five maybe. I don't do uh, math. <laughs> something like that, and we we've never addressed those questions twenty five years ago when he wrote the book. How do we move relationally from a structural institutional church where we are the centerpiece of a community that everybody comes to us? to a type of thing where we go outward toward the people, which involves the kind of stuff, like you're saying, acts of, of relationships, of caring for one another, genuinely caring for each other, making sure everybody's got enough food, everybody's got enough clothing, everybody's got enough shelter, even if that means I need to let go of some of the excess that I have. So yeah, David just put the years, 1997. So again, I don't do math, but it's almost it's at least 26 years, 26, 26 years. Right? Yeah. So a quarter of a century, and we never asked those questions. That's the fear. That's why people are asking these questions. What are we going to do with the church going forward? Because the church in Acts doesn't look like the church of, in America of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s at its peak. So this, is, this could be very terrifying stuff. But I think, Dave, Daniel, you're right. This is where we need to go back to to start again. And to let the spirit create something new. Yeah, because I let me if I wasn't clear before, let me be clear now. It, an an attempt to remember, I don't believe, is an attempt to go back to 1965 in the heyday of the church. That church was not perfect either. Far from it. And and frankly, I, I don't know whether it's should be helpful for us or just more sad that i mean we we've been forget we've been forgetful churches for a long time it didn't take very long for this church that i was describing in acts to to lose their way mm -hmm. all along we've lost their way i mean our way and and in and not just in silly sort of divert our eyes kind of ways but in in deeply horrifying ways mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can remember the first time I read of churches in the American South 
having church picnics around lynchings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not one church. That was ubiquitous throughout the South. Pictures of lynchings became postcards that Southern American Christians would send to loved ones. We, we've, we've been forgetful for a long time. And so I, I want to be clear when I'm, when I'm asking us to remember, it's not just a recovery of our heyday, but, but hopefully a, re- a remembering of our essence, of who we are and, and really how we were created to care for one another. It's helpful, Daniel, to to talk about what you meant there. And and I think I knew that that is what you meant. I think it's also helpful for us to think about how different our context is from then as a way of being able to identify what kind of things get in the way of us being able to live into the truth of that essence. The, this first church, it was so very simple. They got together, they ate a meal, they said prayers, they sang a few songs, and they made sure everybody had what they needed. And that's what they did. And, and a lot of that is because they were very small. They were also oppressed. They were, their religion was not exactly legal, and they were oppressed both by political and religious leaders. And so today in America, Christianity has been on top for a very, very long time. It's a full institution with lots of denominations and lots of money. And all of that can be an, a deterrent to living in to that intimate community that I think is intended for the church. It doesn't have to be. There are places that have used money for really wonderful and good things and have become large institutions that really strive to do good in the world and to make space for people to be in community with one another. But, but I do think that our privilege as Christians, because we are, we're privileged as Christians in the United States, can make us complacent, can make, us, can make it easy to take for granted the community that church can offer. Daniel, in your opening, oh, actually, in, in your answer to David's question about where did you experience community? You talked about a baseball team and a baseball group, and some folks would never set foot in church, but that was their, that baseball team was church for them. And I have experienced that, and regular listeners will get bored of me talking about this, but I've experienced that at our local tavern, especially around drag shows or LGBTQ Pride Week, which is coming up here in April at the end of the month. This uh, specific watering hole, as you put it, is a safe place. It is a true sanctuary in the the honest sense of that word, as a shelter from outside threats, right? For many people in this community, and some of the deepest hurts inside as well as sometimes outside have come 
that they have experienced have come from buildings with the word church on it. So I think, you know, it, if we want to talk about a the universal church, the spirit of church being a community like that in Acts 4, we may always find better examples of that outside of the brick buildings that have church written on it. Because this group of Acts, as Nikki just said, this was not politically and economically dominant dominant and supported institutions. The, this was just people helping each other get by in the name of Christ, whom they, whose way they are trying to walk in. Well, Bert, since you mentioned Rob Nash and his book, and they track church in a seedy world, two forms of media that are no longer in much use. <laughs> I still listen to my CDs. Oh, good for you. I do too. And I also still play my vinyl records. So that yeah, I did help my young daughter buy a CD for a friend's birthday. Nice. And it's and she said to me, "Did you know they have something in the CD that puts all the words on it and it has all this art on it?" <laughs> it was so she could hang up the artwork in mm -hmm. her room. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, the physical media is part of the experience. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The best part of the book, by the way, is the photo of Rob Nash on the back fold, if I can get it. Uh, it won't focus, but there it is. There you go. Mm -hmm. Dear listeners, you can't see it, but we We should do it. a disclaimer here. You were the editor on that book. I just want uh, full disclosure. <laughs> so I want to I want to close with a passage from the book. It's as he unpacks what the church is struggling with in this season of change. Yes, even in 1996, he was very prescient. He talks about the tabernacle is one of the later chapters right before the conclusion. And he talks about community extensively within that. This is just a small portion of it. He says, God expects the church to be more than simply a community that, it that attracts people to it by adjusting itself to fit human needs and desires. Glenn Henson once challenged the church, quote, to fashion a heavenly citizenry who can show forth the true end and purpose of humanity, end quote. Such a church must shape and form among its membership the kind of alternative community expected of it by Jesus Christ. This kind of community calls church members beyond themselves and their own selfish community needs and toward a deeper form of community. Such a deeper form of community is not self-serving. It is Christ-centered. It is absolutely unattainable because it is grounded in selfless love and concern and is extended from one member of the community to another without concern for race, gender, social status, economic level, or any other cultural restriction. The church cannot consistently reflect such a community. But even the slightest evidence of it is infectious. The Church of Jesus Christ is unique among all other institutions and communities of the world. It offers the only hope on earth for true community. It has an obligation to call people beyond individualism, efficiency, power, competition, self-help seminars, and tradition and drag them kicking and screaming toward the kingdom of God. It must strive to accomplish this task, even if failure 
is inevitable. Challenging words from 1996. <laughs> Feels pretty, uh, pretty good for our day as well. I hope you'll get a copy of Rob Nash's book and, and give it a read. It really, it really is still quite current in its thinking. And as we all struggle with what does it mean to build community in these days, may we return to and remember how the Holy Spirit worked in these early Christians' lives in Acts. Read Acts again. Let it sit with you. And may we all be changed and rediscover the kind of community that God desires. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.